Let's pray together. Father in heaven, uh, how good you are, and uh, we love you. We thank you for your incredible faith, faithfulness, for your patience, um, for your grace, your generosity, all of these things, your goodness. You are good through and through, and, um, and we thank you for that. We worship you. Uh, we know that you are Father. We know that you are majesty. We know that you are glory, and uh, you deserve all the praise that we can bring. Heavenly Father, um, we pray for uh, those that you will bring to Alpha, this Alpha. We pray for us, that you would touch our hearts, that you would give us the names of, of people in our around uh, where you are already working, where your face is already turned to them, and they are ready uh, to be invited to Alpha. And uh, give us then the courage to, uh, to act on that in faith. Uh, so that uh, your house can be full. That's what you desire, Lord, and we know that. You send us out to make disciples, so uh, help us, Lord, to be about your business. And, Father, um, as Jeff was mentioning, uh, you know, the weather has been pretty rough this weekend. Uh, we, we pray for those that are, are still um, housebound for whatever reason, and, and we think of those in Newfoundland, um, all the people in that province, Lord, uh, including our brothers and our sisters, who absolutely got walloped and um, are now really in a very precarious situation without power, roads needing to be cleared, uh, people needing to be able to get you know, to emergency services. We pray, uh, Lord, that you would turn your face towards the people of Newfoundland. We pray that you would watch over those who are in emergency services, keep them safe, those that are working to restore power, to clear roads, uh, all of those kinds of things. Um, there are hardy folk, uh, Lord, but uh, nature has dealt them a, a tough hand this weekend. So we just ask God that you uh, would be gracious to them and, um, and speed the recovery of that place. And we lift them up to you, Lord. And finally, Father, we just invite and, and welcome you, Holy Spirit, into uh, this topic of faith as we talk about it today. And we, we ask that you would cause your word to come alive in our hearing as only you can. We pray that uh, you would be with us in both the speaking and in the hearing, and that you would indeed speak to us today, Father. Uh, increase our faith. Help us, Lord, to, to understand more deeply how you work and how we can be part of what you're doing to absolutely transform the world that we live in and to see your kingdom come and your will be done here as it is in heaven. And this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So sorry, I was actually doing really well with this cold until just a couple minutes ago. So I apologize for that. <clears throat> but if you bear with me, that'd, that'd be great. So um, Hudson Taylor was, a, was the 19th century missionary to China. Great, great Christian, great missionary. Lots of wonderful stories about his, his evangelizing of the, uh, the Chinese <clears throat> of the inland China and of the Chinese people, his love for them, his desire to, to see them know the Lord. And one day on his way to China, he was on a ship. Remember, this is the 19th century, so they were all wind-powered at that time. And they had hit a doldrum where there was no wind. And the ship was beginning to drift towards islands, and the, the shipmaster was afraid that if, if, if something didn't happen, that the ship could be driven upon the rocks and it could, uh, it could founder. So he went to Hudson Taylor and he said, I understand that you are a man of prayer. 
So we need you to pray so that the ship does not go up against the rocks. And Hudson Taylor said, okay, I'll pray, but you must set the sail. And the captain said, what? There's no wind. Why would we set the sail? And Hudson Taylor said, just set the sail. And so he went and he gave the order and they, they rigged out the sail and they had all of the sails up. 45 minutes later, they were in a gale force wind and he came down to tell Hudson Taylor, who was still on his knees praying, that he could stop. They had more wind than they, could, than they knew what to do with. Now, if you're like me, <clears throat> you probably grew up hearing stories of some of these great men and women of faith. And we probably thought, wow, wouldn't it be great, you know, to have, have faith like that? Think of, think of those kinds of situations and, and those episodes. Whether it's William Carey or Hudson Taylor or whoever it is, um, we, we, would, we would hear these stories and be encouraged that God could do amazing things and God could do impossible things. But so often in our own experiences, you know, we just didn't see that happening. And so those were exceptional things, exceptional people and exceptional moments that uh, seem to be just beyond our grasp, not really part of our reality in our everyday. <clears throat> you see, the disciples, when Jesus came along and they saw Jesus doing all of this amazing stuff, right, they had the right response. They said to Jesus, increase our faith, increase our faith. Luke 17, verses 5 and 6, the apostles said to the Lord, increase our faith. He replied, if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you can say to this mulberry tree, be uprooted and planted in the sea, and it will obey you. Matthew's version talks about, you'll say to a mountain, you know, get up and be moved and cast into the sea, and it will obey you. Both, are, both passages are, are you know, conveying the same thing, that, that faith can do the impossible, such faith, just a little bit of this kind of faith, can accomplish the impossible, is what Jesus was saying to them. We're in a series about faith, and today I want to give the second part of this introductory message about how faith works, and what is it, how do we increase faith? What does it mean for us to increase faith? And in the rest of the series, we're going to be looking at different stories that come out of the Gospels of episodes of faith around Jesus, episodes of healing, episodes of, of uh, deliverance and, ex and, 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 and exorcism, episodes of all kinds of things, of walking on water, of feeding 5,000 with, with a brown bag lunch, all of these stories around Jesus that all revolve around faith. And we'll be unpacking those and looking at those and, and letting God speak to us through those stories. But, but today I wanted to, to give you a couple of principles to keep in mind about how we increase faith. To do that, first of all, I want to talk about what we mean by faith. We talked about this last week. If you weren't here last week, I'd really encourage you to listen to the message. It's online. What, what is faith? What do we mean by faith? <clears throat> in the Bible, the word, the word believe, which is often translated in English, belief. Thanks, Jim. <clears throat> I don't know if that's going to work or not, but I'll try it. Thank you. But the word, the word is often translated in English, believe. Or faith. And it's the same word. It's the Greek word pistis. And as I said, in the, what we need to know about this word is it has one of two meanings. Or it has two meanings. It can either mean to be fully persuaded of a thing 
or it can mean to entrust yourself to something, to trust something. And that's what the word so often means. And oftentimes when you look at the original language in your English Bible and you'll say that the word believe, when you look at it, it's actually the word pistis. And, and the reason that we talked about this last time is because for us in English, in our colloquial English, the word believe has lost a lot of its force. Believe to us is to give mental assent to something, to say we agree with something, to say, oh yeah, well, I believe this or I believe that. But it doesn't have the force of this Greek word pistis, which means to be fully persuaded of something, to be convicted of something, or to, be, to entrust yourself to something. But when the Bible uses the word pistis, that's what it's implying. There's a force to that word that the word believe in English just doesn't convey. And so some authors, like Philip Yancey in his book says, we'd be better off every time we see the word believe in our Bible, use the word trust or use the word faith. Because that's what the word is in the original language and what it's trying to convey. And so today I want to talk about two principles of how faith increases. The first one is this. Faith begins with hearing. Faith begins with hearing. You'd be familiar with Romans 10 verse 17. And I've done a translation of it here uh, from the original language. And I'll talk about why I did that and and why this particular um, translation. Version, I think, really conveys the thought, specifically looking at this verse. Romans 10, 17, Then faith comes out of the hearing, and the hearing through the message about Christ. Now, just a bit of translation stuff, first of all. So, if you look at the King James, it says, hearing from the word of God. And if you look at the new NIV, it says, the message of Christ, or the word of Christ. Why the difference? That's because the ancient manuscripts don't agree. Some of the oldest manuscripts have word of God and some of the oldest manuscripts have word of Christ. And so there isn't a, a standard, you know, the translators will choose different, different sources in, 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 uh, depending on how they want to translate that. However, I don't think the meaning changes as you're going to see as we unpack it in a second. The other thing I want to mention is that where it says the word of God or the word of Christ in English so often, and the NIV translates that the message of Christ, that's because that word, the Greek word for word is the word rima. And the word rima refers to the spoken word of God, to the spoken or the message of God. The reason I say that is because often when the, Bible, when the Bible authors are referring to the written word of God, they'll use the word graphon, which is the word translated scriptures. But most often when, the, when you see in the Bible the word of God, it's referring to the rima of God or the spoken word of God or God speaking God's message. Now the word of God is God's message, but it's only one form of God's message. The spoken word of God is is another form of God's message. And so in this passage, it says, faith comes out of the hearing and hearing through the message about Christ. And I think that as I look at the Greek, the original language, I think that's a pretty literal translation of what the Greek is saying, of what it says. What does it mean? Well, it means that faith comes as a result of the hearing. And the, word I, the reason I use the article, the hearing, is because in the Greek, hearing is not a verb, it's a noun. 
It doesn't say that faith comes out of the listening. It Faith comes out of the hearing. Once we hear the message of God, once we hear God speak, now faith appears. Now it presumes that we're listening. It presumes that we are listening to God so that when he speaks, we hear him. See the difference? And so the act of listening is an ongoing thing. We're listening to God, but when God speaks, we hear him, and now we have the genesis of faith. Faith comes out of having heard God. That's where faith begins, out of having heard God. And the hearing of God comes through the message of Christ. Now, the reason that this verse says this is because Paul, in this passage of Romans 10, is doing this, this big treatise on how the gospel works and how people come to be saved, how people come, you know, the Gentiles and the Jews, how is it that people are saved and become part of the kingdom of God? And that's what chapter 10 is all about. So he's saying, you know, that, that, you know, that people have to preach, they have to hear, all of these kinds of things in that passage. So that's his topic, his subject. He's talking about how the gospel works to save people. And he inserts this verse in here. And he says in here that the, the message is the message about Christ. Now I want to dwell on that for just a second. In his context here of how the gospel works, he's talking about the message about Christ. In the master class last fall, we talked about how Jesus is both the message and the messenger. We read that in Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 1, that God is saying something to us in Jesus. He has spoken through Jesus. That's what it says in Hebrews chapter 11, or Hebrews chapter 1 and verse 1. In times past, God used angels, he used prophets, but now he has spoken through his Son. So God has said something to the world in and through Jesus. That is the message about Christ. It is the message of salvation. And he is the center point of that. He is both messenger and message. So what Paul is saying here is that, you know, faith, the kind of faith that saves, comes out of when we've heard God's message in Jesus. That's Paul's main point in this verse. And so at a macro level, that's really what he's saying. But I want to dig down past this and look at it in terms of a principle, in terms of the way that Paul has described it. So I don't want to take, I don't want to take anything away from that because that's Paul's context and that's Paul's bigger meaning and bigger message of how the gospel works to save people. They hear the message about Christ. All of that is important. We're going to come back to that uh, as we go along. But this doesn't just work at a macro level. It also works in an everyday level. Because not, God hasn't only spoken to us in the past. God has spoken and God is speaking. And so the, the principle here of faith coming out of, coming out of having heard God when he speaks is still very much operative in our world today. I'll give you an example. A couple of years ago... Um, Elizabeth Pierce and Deb Holbrook and I were called to the hospital to pray for Alan Weeks. And here they are right here, uh, <clears throat> the Weeks family. And they gave me permission to share this story. Alan had had a stroke uh, or some, something like that. And, and he was in the hospital and, and there, was some, there was a serious question 
of whether he was going to survive the next day or two. There was a brain bleed going on. He was in and out of consciousness. He was in the ICU being looked after. And Maureen called and asked for us to come and pray. And so we did. So Maureen was in the hospital room. Alan was in the bed. Aaron was with the Percivals in another room. And Elizabeth, Deb, and I went in to pray for Alan. And so we all prayed for him. And when I finished praying, I stepped back and I thought, okay, it's in God's hands now. We'll see what happens. But Elizabeth and Deb kept praying. And I thought, oh, I guess we're not done. And they continued to pray. Until at one point, Alan moved his foot. And Maureen saw Alan move his foot. And she jumped up and she said, she said, I saw him move his foot. It's working. He wasn't able to do that before. He wasn't able to move at all. It's working. God is answering the prayer. It's working. And she was so excited. And then Elizabeth and Deb stopped praying. What I didn't know when they told me afterward is that on the way to the hospital as they had been praying and listening to God and asking God how to pray for Alan, God said to Elizabeth, pray until you see a sign. And so, even though we had prayed for him and I stopped, they prayed until he saw a sign, until he moved his foot. That's an everyday example of listening to God, having heard God speak, and faith comes out of that. We'll talk about the the outcome of that in a second. Right? And if you can ask the Weeks family, they can give you even more detail. But here's the thing. Alan went on. Here he is. He went on to make a remarkable and miraculous recovery. So much so that when he left the hospital, the nurses were absolutely astounded. And the neurosurgeon who treated him had no explanation for it. And Maureen said, we do. He's been healed. A couple years ago, our own congregation, here they are. God still does this stuff. God, God still does this stuff. He still does this stuff. <clears throat> Eugene Peterson, in this verse, if you look at the message for this Romans 10 verse, he translates it this way. Before you trust, you have to listen. I love that. Before you trust, you have to listen. So Peterson, he understands the sense of what Paul is trying to say and what the language is trying to convey here. That before you trust, you have to listen. And when you hear God, now we have the opportunity for faith. The hearing presumes that we're listening. It presumes that we're listening. And that's one of the reasons why we're on such a a jag in this congregation for the last few years to learn what it is to listen to God, to learn what it is to exercise listening prayer, to learn what it is to hear God. I'm thrilled that Deb and Elizabeth are doing a master class right now on what it is to hear God because God still speaks and God still does these things. And we as his people should know how to hear him. But that presumes that we're listening. That presumes that we're listening. The second principle uh, comes from James chapter 2. 
And that is that faith becomes real in our response. So the first principle is that faith begins with hearing. The second principle is that faith becomes real in our response. James says this, For just as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without deeds is also dead. So just hearing God, and this is the thing, when we hear God, it prompts a response. It calls for a response. It, it nudges for some kind of response. And it is in the responding to what we have heard God say that faith becomes real. Now it's faith. It is not faith before that. Just hearing God is not faith. Responding to what we've heard, that's faith. That's faith. So Carrie Ann Anderson, and she's told this story. When two years ago when we were doing Alpha and Jim was saying, who can you invite to Alpha? And Carrie Ann was listening to God and God gave her a name. Don Chapel. And Carrie Ann said, Yeah, I can invite Don. So Carrie Ann did invite Don. And Don and her daughter Lauren came to Alpha and came to Christ and were baptized and then invited their family to the last Alpha. See the way this works? It wasn't enough for Carrie Ann to hear the name. It wasn't enough for Carrie Ann to be listening to God and, had, and God give her a name and then say, oh, I, I can't do anything with that. No, faith comes in the response. It was in the action of inviting Dawn. Now faith happens. Now the power of faith is released. The power of faith is seen in the response. A few weeks ago, we had Andrew Hodgson come up and he was talking about his ministry. You know, and outside of the box for so many of us, but as he's listening to God and God is giving him a word about this person, strangers in the supermarket, people in his workplace, people he just bumps into and God says something and he's learning to, to respond and, and go to those people and say, do you have pain in your shoulder? Because God's, God's just prompted me that you do. And then he prays for them and they experience relief and he's able to tell them about Jesus now, not always, as he said. Sometimes it's a swing and a miss. Sometimes he doesn't get it right. But as he said here, he would rather swing and miss than never step up to that at all. And good for him. Good for him. This is how faith works. It, it begins with hearing, and it becomes real in our response it becomes real in our response. Our desire is to foster a culture of faith at Forestbrook. When I first really started to feel you know, burdened for, for healing, and we're going to talk about that in a few weeks, when I met with my mentor, Robin Guinness, he said this to me. He said, Kevin, he said, don't pursue healing for your church. Pursue a culture of faith. Pursue a culture of faith. So that God can work. So that God can move. That God can do in and through us the things that God wants to do. So we're, we're doing that. That's our desire, is to do that. A.W. Tozer summarizes this really, really nicely. He says this. 
He says, faith as the Bible knows it is confidence in God and his son Jesus Christ. It is the response to the soul, it is the response of the soul to the divine character as revealed in the scriptures. And even this response is impossible apart from the prior inworking of the Holy Spirit. Faith is a gift of God to a penitent soul and has nothing whatsoever to do with the senses or the data they afford. Faith is a miracle. It is the ability God gives to trust his son and anything that does not result in action in, according, in accord with the will of God is not faith but is something else short of it. Now there's a lot packed into there but basically he's just saying the same thing that I just said. And I love the way that he says this that it is, it is the response of the soul to the divine character as revealed in scripture. The more we know Jesus the more faith we will have. The more we know Jesus, the closer we are to Jesus, the more faith we will have. The more we know what he's like, the more we know what he thinks, the more we know what his nature is, the more we know, why, are we looking at, why aren't we looking at the stories of Abraham or, or, or the Old Testament? Why are we looking at the stories of Jesus to learn about faith? It's because the more we know Jesus, the more we know the character of God the more we know the will of God and the mind of God and the heart of God. And then we're able to respond to that. We're able to trust that. We're able to say, I know what God is like because I know Jesus. I know what Jesus said. I know what Jesus did. And that is who God is. And I trust in that. And I act in that. And I move forward with that. And so we're going to look at the stories of Jesus and what he said about faith so that we can learn to be like him, so that we can learn to believe him, learn to trust him. I love that he says that faith is a gift. It's a miracle. It is supernatural. I said last time that faith is being able to see beyond what's right in front of us. It's being able to see beyond what's, what's, what's visible. Faith is not, is not rational. It is transrational. It's a different way of knowing. It's a different way of being certain it is a thing of the Spirit. And that's where it comes from. It comes from the Holy Spirit. And I love that he does this to the penitent soul. I said last time also that we're going to learn in this that humility is a key to faith. Humility is a key to faith. Pride, arrogance, hard-heartedness, all of these things are faith killers. All of these things stifle faith rob us of faith and prevent God from being able to do in and through us the very things that he wants to do. Humility is a key. A penitent soul. A person who comes humbly before God and says, Lord God, if you don't act, nothing will happen. So act. Please act out of your goodness, out of your nature, out of your character. And I love that he says that it results in action within God's will. Faith always prompts us further into God's will. Faith always moves us in the direction of God's will. It always moves us in the way that God wants us to be going. There is always a response that comes with genuine faith. So just to summarize this, how faith grows, it looks like this. We hear God 
We are persuaded that we have heard God and convicted of what he says, and then we respond. This is how we increase faith. But here's what I want us to understand. This is not a mechanical formula. It doesn't work by, well, if I do this and do that, then God will do this. No, it is a relationship. It is about you and I having a relationship with God. Remember what he says? That, that uh, Peterson says that you can't trust, right, if, if, you're, if you're not listening. And that whole passage in Romans chapter 10 where Paul says, he's talking about the gospel. He's saying, who's actually listening? The gospel is out there. The Jews didn't listen to it. The gospel of salvation is out there. But who's listening? Who has heard our report, he says. Who's actually heard it? And so when we seek God, when our hearts are set to seek God, and we're really listening to God, that's the beginning. That's the starting place. That's the penitent heart. That's the desire for God. Without that, we're going nowhere. We can fill our heads with all kinds of knowledge and information about God, but we will never have faith. Not the kind of faith that moves a mountain or takes a mulberry tree and plants it in the sea. Not that kind of faith. For that kind of faith, we need to be listening so that we can hear God when he speaks. We need to recognize his voice and we need to respond to it. And then we'll see God move. The Scottish preacher Andrew Murray says that God's effectiveness in us, listen to this, that God's effectiveness in us is limited by our indifference or our self-effort, both of which prevent him from doing what he wants to do in and through us. God's effectiveness in us is limited by our indifference or our self-effort, both of which prevent him from doing what he wants to do in and through us. Boy, that's a word to the wise, isn't it? It is a relationship. And here's the thing. This relationship releases the power of the kingdom of God on earth here and now. It releases the power of the kingdom of God on earth here and now. It really does. People are converted. People are healed. Things are changed. Things are transformed. People are set free. God acts and God moves and God does what God wants to do. We already know what he wants to do. We have a ministry of reconciliation. The kingdom of God is on earth now. We're making disciples. We're busy doing our Father's business. We already know all of that. But where's the fruit of it? We can't do that by our own effort. And we can't do that if we're not participating with God in the way that God wants us to participate. So both of those come together in this thing that we call faith. That's what we're learning. That's what we want to learn more about. I want to leave you with a few things to think about and reflect on. I'll invite the worship team to come back up. We're going to give you a few minutes to think about this. Where do you need to increase faith in your life? Where do you need to increase faith in your life? We've heard what faith is. We've learned how faith works. Where do you need to increase faith? Are you listening to God? Are you learning to listen to God? Do you know how to listen to God? Are you practicing the listening to God? Would you recognize His voice when He speaks? And if you have heard Him speak, 
What should you be doing about it? What should your response be? This is what we need to think about. This is what we want to develop. I'll just give you a few minutes to sit with that. Amen.